0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to Britpop, it's me Chris. On this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Glenn Johansson of Echo Belly. Glenn talks about the remastering and reissues of People Are Expensive and Gravity Pools and the process behind that. Also goes back a little bit further and talks about his musical influences and how Echo Belly got together and the early days of the band. Just quickly before we hit the interview, those of you who've been with the podcast since season one would have noticed that I'm no longer using music from bands in the actual episodes themselves Um, it was just a little bit of a legal minefield so I took the decision to take out the music from the previous episodes and now no longer use any in current or future episodes I hope that's okay I know it takes a little bit away from the podcast but it's it's more important to hear from the guests themselves uh, so thanks for your understanding on that one. I'll be back at the end of the interview to talk about how you can support the podcast, but in the meantime here's Glenn. Welcome to the podcast Glenn Johansson. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, I'm really well. Yeah, good. Thank you. Great good to, to speak great to speak to you about uh uh, music and, and Echo Belly and Past and Present and all the sort of things yeah. you've been getting up to. How's how's things been going for you in this the last year? Has it been hectic as usual?
1: Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> uh, we uh, are releasing uh, re-releasing a couple of albums: People are Expensive and Gravity pools uh, They never really had a proper release before, so we decided to re-release them and put them on vinyl and CD. So we, we cannot be busy busy doing that, to be honest with you. Um, also a little bit of writing and just started recording at home now for, for the next album. So, yeah, it wasn't that busy in the beginning, but it got busy as the, the year, it went on, really.
0: That whole kind of remastering and re-releasing project that, that mm. you've been doing with those two albums, how did that, yeah. how did it come about? Did it something you and, you and Sony kind of collectively decided you had to do? Uh,
1: yes, um, when we left uh, Sony Music back uh, late 90s, I think, Um, we kind of uh, financed, started our own label and financed these two albums ourselves. So, um, And they're quite uh, precious to us, if you like. Um, uh, I think they're really good albums. Uh, They haven't really been heard that much, to be honest with you. So we thought now is the time to actually give it a, a proper release, you know, and also to put them on vinyl as well, which was the main idea.
0: And has that process been quite cathartic in a way as well?
1: Well, to be honest, with you, sometimes it's kind of painful going through old stuff. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I, a, we had to locate the masters, first of all. Um, and I, I found the tapes. We had them on uh, all the masters on DAT, uh, DAT, Digital Audio Tape. That people used uh, a lot back in the day uh, not so much anymore or not at all in fact uh, so it was a bit nerve-wracking playing this because they haven't been played for like 15 years or something so i yeah. um, managed to borrow a Dutch player from our producer and started going through these tapes and of course one of the tapes got chewed up you know <laughs> <laughs> so oh fuck. you know we, we we you know we kind of lost that song you know we can't really release it like this so uh, so I contacted uh, our old producer, Ben Hillier, and he had a look around his archive and he found a safety copy of it. So thank God for that. So we yeah. finally managed to to get them all all done, you know. So we we, we had to digitize them, you know, fr- from the data tapes. So so it's finally done and uh it's a bit of a relief to be honest with you it's yeah. really scary to do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i guess it's that people reconnecting with that music as well and also that the, yeah. the the vinyl aspect is so such a popular medium nowadays as well oh. isn't it
1: the tax oh it is it has gone it has skyrocketed yeah. i mean i just spoke to uh the, the company we're going through at the moment and uh they got serious delays, all the pressing plants, up to like a month or two, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, everyone seems to be doing violent at the moment. So uh, they got, their work out for them. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Going a back a bit then, Glenn, if you don't mind, I was, I was really interested and keen to dive, <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, yeah,
0: dive, dive back. Um, <laughs> when you kind of got into music really, and, and the artists that you were into and any kind of guitar heroes that you had?
1: Uh Well, when I when I was uh, a young boy, um, I was really into kind of kind of heavy rock, really. Um, I think Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, that kind of thing. Um, so I kind of started with w- with those kind of bands in mind, you know, when I started learning playing guitar. Uh, that obviously has changed over the years um but uh, i can't go back to zeppelin in a, in a big way to be honest with you mm-hmm. um i really like jimmy page uh i li- like his playing you know on record um so yeah those kind of people who else uh yeah i guess gilmore gilmore uh, yeah gilmore i think um uh, as well when i grew mm-hmm. up but then later on i got into sort of people like johnny moore the smiths and so on uh, uh I thought he was a really really good player kind of unusual so even people like the edge from YouTube, two you know who is was very never really talked about but he's, he's a very inventive guy you know so yeah. uh, those kind of people
0: and you kind of kind of i guess developed your own kind of sound i guess because the guitar and I, is that like the les Paul tone do you think that, that gives you kind of the the, the echo belly sound do you think or or is there a yeah. type of playing that you have adopted
1: probably um i started out when we started out uh, i had my old uh, telecaster still have it um uh, so i used that on the first ep we did and when we recorded our second single insomniac um we had some money at the time and uh, i bought myself uh les paul and uh, that's been uh, a prominent part of, of the early echo belly stuff especially the first three albums
0: yeah this is yeah. really, you've got a very distinct uh, guitar playing sound, I think, and it kind of, a lot of the bands from the 90s and I guess were um, looking back, I guess, at the era, mm. but also um, developing kind of their own kind of style uh, and, and like a uniqueness to it. And I think you can really pick out Ikebeli's guitar style, I think, from from any other band
1: in that era. Oh, well, okay. Uh... Yeah, it's nice to know (laughs) But I don't know, I don't, because During the kind of height of Britpop The guitars were very kind of um, Fairly Fairly clean, so to speak But I always had a little bit of that Kind of heavy rock In me, so to speak So so maybe that I don't know, you know, the Marshall and the Les Paul You know, hey, it's classic, isn't it It's a good combo It's not bad at all, not bad at all (laughs)
0: So, in terms of like uh, the formative years of Echo Bailey, how yeah. <laughs> how did you guys kind of meet and decide that you wanted to write songs together?
1: Well, I met Sonia first of all uh, early nineties, and uh, she always wanted to sing. She said, so, "So we just started kind of see if we could write some songs together," which which we did. And I remember recording some demos uh, on a like an old cassette, Porter's, Porter Studio, or Tascam or something like that, or Fostex or whatever. Um, so that was the really early, early ones we did. Uh, the song "Bellyache" from our first EP was probably one of the first things we ever wrote together. I think. And uh, later, we, we, later we got all of Andy, our drummer, and then eventually Alex Kiser, the bass player. So there's a four-piece when we started. Um, we haven't released an album at that time. We released an EP or two EPs, I think. And uh, one evening we were all in Camden to see some band or something, and I uh, we were all a bit drunk, I think, because I uh, hmm. I tripped up on the on the pavement and on, on a twig or something like that, <laughs> and and, uh, and I fractured my elbow. Uh, I went back in the pub and so I'd be all right, you know. And then a few hours later, mm, maybe I should go to the hospital. So it was fractured. So so we just had a tour coming up, and and Debbie Smith, she had. Uh, been to quite a few our gigs and we kind of got chatting so we asked her to to uh fill in uh or help me out on on the tour and i was in a kind of lost the course, but i could still play a little bit so so debbie joined as well you know and then recorded our first album ego so
0: yeah and so those sort of early sessions then when you were developing mm. like mm. The, the sound as a five piece then mm. what what were they like were you kind of Zooming in on kind of what was going to be your like
1: uh sound, maybe not consciously, to, to be honest with you, it just kind of happens, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're aware of that yourself. Uh, when you rehearse, you know, you, you kind of get to know each other's styles and it, it kind of all kind of gel, you know. We were quite lucky, it all seemed to gel really well when we rehearsed new songs. I used to just bring in uh, the songs and just like a basic structure. And we all kind of, you know, worked it out and uh, which then became the final product.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So it wasn't really a conscious decision of looking for a sound as such, you know, It mm. was just more influenced by the people we, we liked at the time, I think, you know, yeah, think yeah. we were all big Pixies fans, for instance. And, uh, you know, we had that, we had, we had one, it's not quite true, we had one thing that we kind of always trying to, do early on was to have that whole quiet verses and really loud choruses you know uh, that kind of difference in light and shade so to speak so that that emphasis was on that to have you know really kind of uh, sparse choruses maybe just bass drums you know and then mm. the chorus, oh verse sorry and the chorus comes in and you just bang you know did you all have like an input in
0: terms of like uh contributing to the songs and stuff did everyone have like ways of chipping in or was it kind of down to sort of two two or three key people
1: i i i brought the song in so me and Sonia were the sole songwriters as such but um everyone had uh, an input in terms of arrangement and what to play and so on yeah so it was a collective effort as well
0: yeah lyrically what kind of stands out about Ekebele as well is kind of you you kind of married that positive messages within some of the songs but you also have like that kind of politically and um and kind of introspective kind of looks at society as well themes throughout the lyrics so you kind of get a bit the best of both worlds in terms of the content do you know what I mean
1: yeah I, th- I think that's was one of our strongest points what was earlier on was the lyrics I think uh I think Sonia sang about subjects that no one else really dealt with, you know. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: It was quite, it was some quite dark things, you know. We had uh, quite a lot of things happen to us kind of in the past, and they kind of reflected the lyrics as well. Uh, She she was very much, she sang a lot of lyrics for us about, you know, kind of equality for women, for instance, and and so on. So so she always had... uh, A real theme in her lyrics on you. She never wrote any kind of nonsense. It was always had like an underlying meaning, you know.
0: Yeah. And were you kind of reflecting some of that songwriting on what was happening at the time? Because obviously the 90s was an explosion of all sorts of Britpop being one of the things, but also the political things, and laddism and and all sorts of other kind of toxic uh, kind of and misogynistic kind of stuff going on. Were you affected by that?
1: Yes, um, definitely lyric wise, Sonia was very affected by that. I think that's why we didn't really sit that well with the whole Britpop thing at the time. We didn't think so at the time, anyway, because of uh, the content of the lyrics. Yeah, and because uh, it was a very, as you said, a very laddish kind of culture. You know, you had all this uh, horrible loaded magazine and all that shit. You know, yeah. so football and birds. You know, uh, so it, it didn't really sit that well with us. To be honest with you, but but you know, so I guess I guess we got a lot of flack for that as well.
0: Yeah, but I think you were quite seen as as a as a band that was was standing your ground in terms of what you wanted to represent, which I think quite yeah. a refreshing and encouraging thing to see. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. i say um, so. So when when did you start getting sort of record label kind of interest? Because I know you were you were you were kind of signed to well signed Pandemonium. Sorry,
1: Pandemonium. That that was our first EP. Uh, we released one EP with a, it was a very small label based in Leopard in London. Uh, they were basically mainly a dance label, I think. Um, they had a sub-label called Kicking, I think, at the time. Um, so they did one EP with us and we signed with a label called Rhythm King. Uh, Rhythm King were in a similar position to Creation, meaning they were funded by Sony Music. Yeah. So basically, Sony paid for everything, you know, and uh and the idea was for us to do the first uh, two albums on uh, Rhythm King, and then go over to Sony for the third album. And uh, they had uh, they had a few labels at the time. Sony, the sort of sub labels, you know, Creation uh, and uh, Rhythm King. So yeah, we, so we didn't really deal with uh, Sony music that much in, in the beginning. It was when the third album. Uh, came that that's when we kind of went straight onto sony yeah
0: did they support you in terms of your like artistic integrity if like, you feel know, like no
1: of... <laughs> <laughs> no nah, that, that 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 were okay actually that they that, they were okay in the beginning i thought um we signed with a guy called rob stringer and he was head of uh sony at the time he's i think he's head of sony in the u.s now um or the world you know mm-hmm. but uh he was very keen he signed uh he had manix as well so he was very loyal to to the bands that he signed and gave us a lower leeway to, to get on with things and uh it was really good actually it was just kind of when we did Lustra uh, around 1997 um because it we was so kind of linked with the whole Britpop thing and when mm-hmm. that kind of went down the pan you know It was really difficult for us to just get radio play or anything, and we kind of noticed a drastic difference when we toured that album compared to previous tours. You know, Mm. so uh, yeah, it was quite it's quite weird, really. But yeah,
0: do you think it was just a case of people were moving away from a certain type of sounding band, or what do
1: you think? Yeah, well, I, I I kind of noticed well. When we toured our third album, Lustra. This was around 98, perhaps. Um, the tours weren't as uh, well attended, and uh, you just noticed that there are a lot of people, especially students, that were into kind of American bands, kind of post grunge that like Blink 182, whatever they're called, things like that. And I thought anything to do with Britpop, no one wanted to know about it really,
0: yeah.
1: At the time, you know, it, it was kind of Dead in the water, so so to speak, you know. So, so it, it, it was a difficult time.
0: And did you find yourself then thinking about other ways that you could you could evolve, or is it? Or did you?
1: Well, not really. You know, we kind of we were a bit in limbo after uh, when we left Sony after the third album. Uh, we thought we wasn't sure what to do. So, me, Andy, and Sonia were the only people left in the band. So, so this was. Uh, End of 1999, uh, we decided to to go to Nepal, uh, go to Everest Base Camp for New Year's Millennium New Year's. So me, Sonia, and Andy went to bought a lot of trekking clothes. Uh, had a practice trek in Richmond Park. <laughs> went to the pub straight away. Um, nothing. <laughs> there. Then we flew up to uh, flew to Kapandu and went up in the Himalayas and spent three weeks walking in the mountains. Oh wow! And uh, when we came back, kind of rejuvenated, I felt um, high altitude does that too. You know, you get lots of energy when you come back to sea level again. Yeah, and uh, that's when we decided, right? Let's 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 do another album completely free of any label or anything like that. So, so I think Sonia remortgaged her flat at the time, uh, pay for the first album people are expensive and uh, it was a great joy to, to do to be honest with you, because there, there was no pressure from from anybody we had no expectations on us at all um, so so we just had fun with it and it was a really creative uh, process that album um, we worked with a producer called Ben Hillier um, who was a very creative guy he just takes things and it just fucks it up you know yeah. in a very musical way. Uh, so, so that was sort of a really joyous kind of few weeks, you know, recording that album. So the the
0: calm to, the calm of zero uh, yeah. band that you formed was that was that something that came after that and uh, evolving out over your kind of musical career.
1: Yeah, yeah, we. we, we Echo about it. We just uh, after the, after the last album we did together, me, Andy, and Sonia, uh, it was Gravity Pulse, two thousand and four. And after the album, we we basically called it a day. Uh, so you know, we had um, maybe a year went by, and then me and Sonia, because I had been playing a lot of acoustic at the time. So so we decided to do something different. Let's, let's do some acoustic stuff and and call it something else. You know, so it was just the two of us.
0: How did the writing evolve from that was it the same or is it did you find yourself settling into those roles quite easily
1: yeah quite easily I mean I've, I've been listening to a lot at the time I've probably been listening to a lot of uh, folk stuff a lot of um uh, American and that kind of thing so I that's what kind of came out uh, at the time that's every time I picked up a uh, guitar and I started writing songs it was those kind of songs you know uh, that came out and and, and uh we decided to do a couple of mini mini albums with just just acoustic stuff, just me and Sonia together. So, uh, we might do that again. You never know.
0: I guess now with the kind of resurgence and popularity in 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 what was a a, a popular decade, and you're seeing a lot of yeah. these Shine On um, gigs and uh, yeah. And lots of bands reforming and touring again. Have you got plans yeah. to do this? I, I know that you, you you've been playing. Well, you're playing up right right up until sort of twenty twenty, and obviously with the pandemic and everything, things have obviously ground to a halt. But w- yeah. what are your future plans in terms of getting back on the road?
1: Well, we're supposed to do festivals this year, uh, but they will be moved to next year.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, we're supposed to do a few European things uh, as well, but we might do a tour towards the end of the year. It depends on uh, how we go and how the recording of the new albums going and so on, uh, if we have time. But uh, we're looking at doing some more touring uh, at the end of this year. Definitely.
0: If there are any venues to play in.
1: <laughs> if there are any venues to play in, exactly. And if you're allowed in with whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Masks and all that rubbish.
0: When you when you look back at uh, that era, of- Mm. Uh, that time I mean what what are your kind of instant feelings about it I mean obviously, obviously you made a massive like a, a decent career and a decent dent in terms of uh the bands that were around and not, um, bands that were influential as well in other and bringing up other musicians is it tinged with any kind of regret or are you just happy to
1: have experienced it uh you, you always have regrets about certain things but to, it was a great time it really was uh to be in a band. Uh, uh, from kind of mid 90s almost it really was uh, there was there was so many good bands about uh, record labels uh, spent love money on on their acts and so on and uh, it was just in the air It wasn't just music it was uh, films it was it was uh, it was art it was you know uh, across the spectrum it was just a very vibrant time you know
0: yeah
1: and uh but the thing is whilst you're in it you, you don't really see it you, you don't really you're not really aware of it you just go over the flow so to speak and and uh, yes you have a lot of regrets especially with i mean I, I remember meeting so many people that i've should really been pleased to meet you know uh, but at the time you, you you were just so full of yourself and because you were kind of on the up and you know and nothing kind of faced you you know you, even David Bowie, so David Bowie, so what? You know, it, it was almost like that, and and some things I regret bit, like it to, yeah. to this day. You know, people I, I should have, you know, spoken to, perhaps I spoke to more or whatever, but never did because you just you just were on a roll, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to hopefully very soon getting to hear the new material, Glenn. And uh, me too. <laughs> and, and hopefully, if you ever come down to Southampton, I'll be there
1: absolutely yeah yeah we, we certainly will do southampton at some point definitely you know it's always been a good place for us Southampton. You
0: know. okay that would be fantastic yeah, too. thanks uh, thanks so much for speaking to me again i really appreciate it was it was a pleasure no problem at all thanks again to glenn for joining me on the podcast Uh, we've been trying to get together for nearly a year now and uh, Echo Billy have been a band that I've always wanted to feature uh, in an episode so it was fantastic so as I've mentioned previously uh, there's loads of ways you can support the podcast on social media you can just search for Back to Britpop on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and if you've got time and it's not too much bother pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and if you've got time, a review because that really helps as well And then finally, if you want to say thanks and buy me a virtual coffee, you can do that. Just uh, hit the Ko-Fi page link in the show notes there and it's £3 and and that really helps as well. So as I mentioned on the previous episode, I'm trying to get more guests together uh, to sort of get this season a bit longer. Still working on that. I don't know if there's another episode next week. I'm doing my best. But if you just follow on social media, you should be able to see any updates that I have in terms of that. Thanks for all your support so far. As you know, it is greatly appreciated. See you on the next episode.